Eclectic, eclectic perspective. 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 Greetings. Welcome to another episode of Eclectic Perspective. Today we'll be discussing the pleasure principle. Today I'm here with Mr. Blue as well as Tracy Phillips. And before we get started, Tracy, I want to tell you thanks for calling the show and being a special commentator. And if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi, Aisha. Hi, Felipe. Um, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Tracy Phillips. I am a licensed master's level social worker um, in the final stages of completing my Ph.D. in counseling psychology. But most important, I have over 12 years' experience teaching about human sexuality in both secondary and higher education. Um, I'm currently an assistant professor at Springfield College, and if you don't mind, I'd like to say a special shout-out to my students, past and present, who are listening in. Please do. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I guess I'm going to go ahead and get started and jump right into it. Um, the first thing I want to do is give everybody a little brief synopsis of exactly what the pleasure principle um, is pertaining to Sigmund Freud. And basically, it is a driving force that seeks immediate gratification of all needs, wants, as well as urges. In other words, the pleasure principle strives to fulfill our most basic and primitive urges, including hunger, thirst, anger, and sex. When these needs are not met, the result is a state of anxiety or tension. And um, with that being said, I guess we can jump right into um, the types of sexuality. And Ms. Phillips, I would like for you to, I guess, give us um, your take on the types of sexuality that are present. Okay, not a problem. Now, do you mean orientations or do you, are you talking, what kind of thing? Can you be a little more specific? I can go into different types of orientations. That'd be wonderful. You want to Sounds good. Things? Sounds good. Okay. Um, well, basically, sexuality can can be broken down into three continuums. There's a biological continuum, a gender continuum, and an orientation continuum. And, and I'm sure you guys will understand this. The biological continuum is basically gender identity, male, female, and the third is what's called an intersex. Um, and that's biological, what you're born. You have, so obviously we're born male or female, but there's also a cross-section of the population that is what's considered intersex. And they're born with both male and female genitalia. Uh, the gender continuum is, is, is how you identify yourself in terms of being masculine or feminine and, of course, the third is what's called transgender. That's someone who is in between, who, who is who's maybe born in a biological continuum of male but identifies as a, in, in the feminine gender. And so they become transgender. They, they, they seek to change their identity. And the third, of course, is the orientation, and that's how, who you are attracted to sexually. And obviously we have homosexuals, heterosexuals, and the, the, the middle of the road there is, is as we all know, bisexual. Hmm. All right. <laughs> now, please ask me further questions and, and if, you know, clarifications as we go through. If you can, uh, for me personally, state those three um, stages or three categories again. Sure. Uh, we have biological, gender, and orientation. 
Biological is what you're born as. Gender is what you identify with as. And orientation is what you're attracted to. And all of us fall within one of those, fall on on the scale on all three of those continuums. (laughs) All right. Uh, Mr. Blue, any commentary from you? Blue, are you with us? I think we may have lost them. I think so. All right. Well, um, your perspective, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to ask, from your perspective, um, how hard is it for individuals to identify on all three levels? I mean, do you have to identify on all three levels? Or, I mean. Well, yeah. Yes, we do, because we're all born a certain sex. Uh-huh. You're either born male, female, or intersex. So that that continuum is definitive from the day you're born. Definitely, definitely. Right. The gender continuum is what you identify as. You can have someone who, and it happens very frequently, you can have someone who is born a male, but from a very early age they identify as a female. They feel, and you'll hear people use terms as though inside I felt, I always felt like a woman. Um, mm-hmm. And I looked in the mirror, I felt more feminine. Now, what people tend to do, though, is they tend to mix up the gender continuum and the orientation continuum. Okay. And I always have this ends up being a huge conversation in class because we are so um, we are so entrenched in the orientation, what you're attracted to, homosexual, mm-hmm. heterosexual. And so what people tend to do is if they see a transgender or even a transvestite, even someone who, who dresses, to the opposite, they automatically assume that person is all, is also homosexual, which is absolutely not true. A okay. person can be can identify as one, but still be attracted to the if they're attracted to the opposite, they are heterosexual. So let's let's get a little let's let our audience get a little confused here. If you have, because <laughs> I am, look, I am. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm gonna break it down. If you have someone who was born a male, uh-huh. the biological continuum was a male. Follow so far? Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. But their gender continuum is feminine. In other words, they were born a male, but they identify as a female. Okay? Follow me so far? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. But they are attracted to a male. Are they are they homosexual or heterosexual? Take again. <laughs> Blue. <clears throat> I don't want to be wrong, so I'm just listening for the answer. No, no, okay. <laughs> I'll give you the answer. They're, they're considered heterosexual. Okay. Because oh, okay. what you would base it on is what the person identifies as. So if a person, no matter what their biological, their body looks like, if they identify as one but are attracted to the opposite sex, no matter what their body looks like, they are heterosexual. Really? Well, that's a whole different definition than I'm used to hearing. Seriously. I'm just, I'm really kind of... So if okay. I feel like a woman, even though I may have genitalia <laughs> like a man, I can be considered a woman if I like another man? You said that kind of quick. Let me hear it again. Okay. If I feel like a woman, like a, let's say... um. A bounty boy. Um, how do you yes. say in English? Uh, 
a flamboyant homosexual. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 I mean, a, flam, a, a flamboyant, male-oriented person who feels like a female, dresses like a female, talks like a okay. female. If I'm talking to another male, maybe another one looks just like me and talks like me, I'm considered heterosexual? Would be considered heterosexual, yes. Wow. Wow. Yes. That's controversial. <laughs> you got it. What really confuses is that society, and that's one thing I want to talk on if you have a minute, is the difference between sex, sexuality, and sensuality. Because mm-hmm. society puts us into so many little boxes when it comes to sex. Like if you see a man dressed like a woman, you think they're homosexual. That is not true. That person can be transgender but still be heterosexual. If, and then if you... If you hear somebody say, hey, she's sensual, you automatically think she's out there hooking up with everybody, and that's not true. Sensuality, sexuality, and sex are two, are three completely different things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we have time during the course of this, I'd love to break those down because I really think that this conversation would be great to just break down those walls of what people believe sex is and what it's not. Yes, please, mm-hmm. we have plenty of time. It's on July 4th weekend. Basically, we're on vacation. So you I do. know. <laughs> All right. Well, Trace, if you want to break those down for us before we get into um, the meat and potatoes. Oh, one quick this, question. Um, so you're telling me if I'm a bounty boy walking around with skinny boy jeans, I'm not gay? Miss Stump, I hear stuck on this. He's really bothered by this. I mean, I see, I mean I'm seeing way too many dudes with these skinny boy jeans, these little scarves and things around their collar. you telling me that they're not gay? It, not necessarily. If they are trans, if you see a man who's dressing like a woman, there are many, and I, I'm 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 a burst another bubble. There are uh-huh. many men out there, many men, who either have a fetish or what's called a paraphilia mm-hmm. about dressing like a woman. But they are completely heterosexual. They just like mm-hmm. to dress like women. So if you see a man out there and he is dressing, as you said, flamboyant, don't automatically assume he is homosexual. Now they may be. I'm not saying it's not. But I'm saying it, you have to ask the person, and this is coming from a counseling perspective, what do they identify as? And that's what I'm saying. We look at somebody on the outside, and we automatically assume this is what they are on the inside based on what we see. So if you see a man and he's dressed in a feminine way, oh, he must be gay. Not necessarily. It could be someone who's transgendered, which means they identify or they're transitioning between male and female to be becoming male and female. And that person, if you ask them, are you homosexual, they'll look at you like you're crazy and say, no, I'm completely heterosexual because I identify as a woman and I'm attracted to men. But society mixes it up, and that's why we have so many stigmas, that's why we have so many prejudices, and that's why we have so many people who are in the closet, on the down low, et cetera, et cetera, because they're afraid of what society is going to say about them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I know you um, mentioned fetishes. And um, I was wondering, how are fetishes created or established? I mean, what happens in our psyche that helps us to, um, or assists us with, with knowing we have a fetish? I mean, how does that get started? Well, there's, there's a lot of theories. That's a very good question, Aisha. There's a lot of theories about fetishes. Um, basically, there's, about, there's three different categories. One is um, the psychoanalytic that you mentioned Freud earlier. You uh-huh. know, Freud was all about sex. <laughs> 
Yeah. For anything, if, if you went to Floyd, there was a sexual issue, even if you went to him with a toothache. I mean, he was, he was about sex. Yeah, two times because you need some more sex. No. <laughs> in the old stage and, you love, and you're in love with your mother. Yeah. He's, um, but, but basically, um, the psychoanalytic, which is Floyd's foundation theory, says that, you know, uh, we – as we grow, as we start out as children, we go through different stages, oral stage, anal stage, where we're fixated. And, and you think about a child who has to have a, a in their mouth a pacifier, mm-hmm. you know, they have an oral fixation. Then when they move into potty training, they move into an anal fixation. So, And then according to Freud, people get stuck. They get into fetishes or what's also known as paraphilias because they get stuck in one of those stages. And when they're stuck in that stage, as an adult, they can't move past it. And so their sexual stimulation comes from that fixation, if you follow. Okay? That's that's psychoanalytic. Um, I hate to burst your bubble, uh, Aisha, but Freud has been discredited on so many levels. Oh, I feel like his his, um, (laughs) theory. I do. I mean, there are are some... um, theorists who've come after him who, you know, had a foundation of Freud, but they've all gone on and said, no, nah, it's not that serious. Freud just, because everything in, in, in his theory had to do with sex. Um, oh. Basically, the other side is behavior, behaviorism, behavior theory, and that's basically saying that fetishes are created by learning experience. Things okay. that you, you know, you learn growing up that stay in your mind. The most uh, popular, believe it or not, and I'm not, this is completely true, the most popular and, and established theory is, is actually called the eclectic perspective. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> what else would it be, right? <laughs> the eclectic perspective. Um, and it, it was created by a, a, a therapist named John Money, and he created a theory called Love Maps. Um, and his theory basically says that as we develop as children, normal children should develop a regular connection between romantic love and lust. You fall in love with a person, you lust after that person. Mm-hmm. And each, mm-hmm. each, you follow me so far? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, each of us has our own love maps that are created. But um, Money theorized, John Money theorized that unhealthy love maps are created during childhood where the person does not make the healthy connection between love and lust, and instead, lust is not attached to love, but it instead attaches to inanimate objects or certain behaviors. For example, perfect example, you have a child who's who's abused or comes from very harsh parents. They may grow up to associate pain with lust. And they can go up becoming a sadist or a masochist. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so basically okay. it's, it's experiential. It's saying that the things that happen in our life, and it can be anything because you have fetishes with shoes, you have fetishes. I mean, there are so many out there, um, fetishes that are out there. But what John Money is saying is that childhood experiences are what creates those. And unfortunately what happens is the person, their lustful experiences, their lustful feelings are attached those, an- uh-huh. those inanimate objects could be animals, could be, you know, anything. So that's kind of where it establishes. However, I have to, you know, say that these are all theories. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. There's, gotcha. There's, 
There's been none that are, you know, completely proven as this is unclear. That's the wonderful thing about counseling is it's all theory. <laughs> right. Okay. Now, I, I bet when I ask you um, the type of fetishes, um, I guess I was heading in a different direction. I did a little bit of research myself, and um, I came up with that there are three types of fetishes, um, media, form, and I think it's animate. Animate, um, yes. Anime, okay, let's see this. But anyway, um, can you tell us about those three forms? Uh, basically, media, and, and again, these three are the categories, but within those categories, you have multiple fetishes, and I'll go into a couple of those if you want. Um, okay. The media fetishes, basically, you're obsessing over, over things that you can feel, things that, that hit the five senses. Mm-hmm. Silk, like you have silk, fur, leather, things that, that you touch. Um, form fetishes are fetishes that, that are created by things you see or shapes or objects. Uh, like someone who has a foot fetish is, is the shape of the foot is what turns them on. Okay. Uh, and then animate fetish is, is body parts, things that are, that are part of their, um, type, you know, part of their body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know people will say, well, shoot, I like, I like, Oops, I like women's breasts, so that doesn't mean I have a fetish. Uh, <laughs> no, uh. it doesn't. But basically, if, if, the, if, you, if the person, the sexual behavior becomes the focal point or an obsessive preoccupation, that's when it transitions into a paraphilia or a fetish. In other words, I can't have sex unless the woman is wearing high heel shoes. Gotcha. That's a fetish, not just I like high heel shoes. Mm-hmm. So it transitions. But within those, I'll just name a couple of them that are considered um, exhibitionism, you know, people who, who get sexually aroused by exposing themselves to others. Well, you have your peeping toms and your, your people standing outside the window, you know, you, you're um, standing on the train platform and the guy opens his jacket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. I, I do. I found it in a movie one. But... Yeah, and I got a jacket like that. You know what I mean? What yeah. you doing with that jacket, Blue? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you also have uh, voyeurism. Hmm. Voyeurism is, is when a person gets off out of secretly watching someone else. They don't want hmm. the person. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I'm going to interject. Uh, what about... Some people like to, they get off on watching porn, so would that be under that classification as well? or? It, yeah, it could be if it becomes an obsessive need. Now, people who like to watch porn, not everybody's, you know, that's not necessarily a fetish. But if the person can't perform sexually or can't become sexually aroused, if they're not mm-hmm. watching porn, and okay. in, fact, they, in fact they will not want to have sex with the person sitting next to them or laying next to them in bed, they would rather... Can I use real language? Yeah, I don't do care. It. Do it. Do it. Okay. <laughs> they, would rather, they would rather jerk off, and I'm talking about it from a male perspective, but women get get addicted to porn as well. But they would rather jerk off to a picture on a computer screen than make love to their spouse or their, their partner. Then you mm-hmm. got a problem. But just because mm-hmm. someone likes to watch porn doesn't necessarily mean that it's a fetish. Yeah, so, okay. If any of these, like I said, any of these, they only they only transition into a fetish if it becomes obsessive and it's the only way that they can actually perform or get sexually aroused. If it's just something you like to do, then it's just kinky. 
Hmm. So, you wow. know, you got... <laughs> Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? <laughs> nothing wrong with a little kink. That's what my mama told me. Ain't nothing wrong with a little kinky. Oh, no, that's right. Oh, no, um, that's right. We got, I mean, and then you got your masochism, your sadism, those things. But let's go into some crazy kinky ones. How about necrophilia? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, let's not go there. That's one place you don't need to go. <laughs> no, I'm thinking that we should. I'm disagreeing with you today. We might dig up some, uh, we might end up starting a, 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 what do you call it, a rage of um, people killing people just to have that fetish. No. List. I know, right? But, I mean, we do need to talk about it, though, because it happens. It happens. And you'd be, okay. surprised how, you'd be surprised how many people suffer from these fetishes, but they can't admit them because of the reaction that they would get. Oh, now, definitely. this is one that might be a little over the top, but it's out there. Um, Coprophilia. What's that? Yeah, I never heard that one. Contact with feces. Ew. Uh, okay. Well, uh. <laughs> well, I know a lot of brothers that, you know, after they come out of prison, they don't mind. Um, you know, they like it. That's the only position they really want to take it in. Yes, yeah, but it's not. No, it has not. It's not anal sex now. Oh, okay. it's <laughs> and and I know. So what they doing? Play with it, look at it. I mean, what? I mean, I want to be part of. Yeah, they want it to be part of the sexual experience. They want to rub it on. They want to. Uh, I'm I'm being real. And then I of course, you're, you're this one, urophilia. What is that also known as? Hero. What's that? Mm. Yeah. 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 to me. My mom. It, it, it's also known as a golden shower. Oh, oh, you yeah, want to pee that. on me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you want to urinate on me? Ugh, okay. That's all Kelly. That's all Kelly right there. You know what I'm saying? Mm, I was thinking about it. I didn't want to be the one to say it. So thanks, Blue. <laughs> I love how you read my mind. You know, you got um, zoophilia, sex with animals. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with that one. Yeah, I am. Yeah, a couple of those horses and dogs. Exactly. And... Yep. I saw this I mean, chick on a video. She um let a horse inside her, and in my mind, I'm like, how? How? In your mind, you know, no man could ever touch that again. What? A horse? You have you seen a horse's instrument? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like how? How can she even? Uh. Anyway. Because the, because the vagina can stretch so hot that. Uh, that really? Yeah. Yes, it can. That had to be up in her chest somewhere. Length alone. I don't even talk about the width, but the length alone. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of Catherine the Great. She was a, Euro- a European queen. Mm-hmm. Nah, before my time. She, Catherine the Great, um, you look her up. She was a European queen. She was one of the best queens. That I believe I believe it was, uh, might have been Germany, but it was in Europe. And uh, she suffered from zoophilia. And she also, hmm. was, she also, I mean, was sexually obsessed. And she died because a horse fell on her. Oh, wow. Um, while she was she trying was, to attempt to have sex? While she was, yeah, they, hooked the, they would hook up a harness over her bed and oh my God. Spread, spread the horse eagle, you know, and lower the horse by, this was her, you know, lower the horse down to her, and she would have intercourse with the horse, but the harness broke. Oh, mm. So, I mean, you'd be surprised. If, you know, it sounds kinky to us, but there are a lot of people out there that are that have these things. They have these fetishes. And whether they come from, you know, this love map, behavior, being stuck in this, wherever it comes from, it's there. Wow. So, That's deep. So you, you just blew my mind with that Catherine the Great. 
Nobody made a movie about it yet. I'm gonna be. I kidding. know, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's, I don't know. I, this is a little more, a little more than I bargained for, Miss Phillips. But uh, sorry. Mm. Well, um, before we get a little too engrossed in this, because I do want to get to the to the the good stuff. But um, real quickly and just briefly, is there a difference between celibacy and abstinence? Oh, much, very much so, very much so. And, again, it's another thing that, that society mixes up. Um, basically, celibacy is making a decision, a lifelong vow, if you will, to never have sex. Um, priests, nuns, monks, um, they do that. They vow that they will not have sex. Okay. Abstinence is simply abstaining from sex, if it's sexual abstinence, abstaining from sex for a period of time, anywhere from a couple months, couple weeks, couple years, for whatever reason, but you fully intend to resume sexual activity after the period of time. Ah. So if, yeah, if a person says, for example, I'm going to wait till I get married to have sex, they are not celibate. Okay. They are abstinent. <laughs> but if a person says, I'm never having sex again for whatever reason, then they're celibate. And I think I would even say that almost all of us at some time in our life, consciously or unconsciously, have been abstinent. Right. Yeah, whether it's to focus on school or work or you want that special person or you just don't feel like being bothered. I mean, whatever it is, we Mm -hmm. have said, you know what, I'm just just not going to do this for a while. Or you meet someone and you want to take it slow, quote, unquote, you know? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. All of that is abstinent. It doesn't turn into okay. celibacy until it's a lifelong choice. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I was one of those that had my definitions. Um, yeah, well, twisted up. Complete, completely just, wrong. I'm celibate. I'm not messing with you right now. Oh, right now. No, okay. I think now, I might have said that once or twice before I was lying. God forgive me. Because I'm abstinent, not celibate. So, so let's say it again. Celibate is a lifelong commitment. Yes, it's a lifelong vow or decision to never have sex. Okay. When abstinence wow. is just saying, I'm going to hold out for a while, for whatever that reason is. All right. I'd like to touch back on um, Catherine the Great. I uh, looked at five different, um, <laughs> five different <laughs> sites on the Internet. It says Catherine suffered a stroke on 16 November 1796 and died in her bed at 920 the following evening without gaining, regaining consciousness. It's, yeah, that's not Despite, that's not, uh... despite an urban myth connecting her death with a sexual incident involving a horse, there's no basis to this story. Well, uh, my um, years of experience have taught me the opposite, but and I know that you went to Germany to before, so you probably had the real track. <laughs> Not that I was there, but <laughs> I have done my research as well, and and you know what they say and what happens. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we all die. I mean, it's mysterious death or definite sleep. I mean, we all know that when they put that in them like lab reports and reports of um death certificates, it's always uh, some underlying issue that's too um. Remarkable to comment on on paper. But yeah, I understand. And, and she's she royalty. Why would you want to taint a, a royal? A royal exactly. Like doing sex. But putting exactly. that as, as news news, you know what I'm saying? Right. And she was a queen, and it was, you know, again, my research showed it was it was widely known that she could not be satisfied sexually. Wow. And so she moved into larger animals because they were the only ones with organs big enough oh my to gosh. satisfy her. Yeah. So. Hmm. All right. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Sophie. Oh, okay. Um, 
Oh man, I'm so, I'm so thrilled looking at all these urban legends about her. Not <laughs> <Like>, really. <laughs> you're not focused anymore. I'm not focused. I'm turned on by a seven-year-old woman. Really, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to go back for a moment because I wanted to talk about the just, just to, like as a foundation, uh-huh. to talk about the difference between sex, sexuality, and sensuality. Mm-hmm. And just really briefly, because I really, again, think that there's a lot of misconception about what those things are. Right. If you don't understand what you are, I really feel like you have a hard time. And people get into, especially our young people, they get into issues when it comes to expressing themselves sexually because they don't understand what it truly means to be sexual, mm-hmm. to have sexuality. Having sexuality doesn't mean taking off your clothes. You know, you don't have to walk around and show all your skin to be sexual. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I just wanted to kind of start there and maybe jump off from some discussion. And, you know, obviously sex is sex. It's any activity that stimulates your sex, your, your organs, that stimulates your sexual organs. And that can be oral sex, anal sex, cunnilingus, fellatio, you know, massaging, anything that stimulates those parts of your body, that's sexual activity. It doesn't have to lead to intercourse, and it does not have to lead to orgasm. Okay. But, that, but, but if, if your body becomes, becomes stimulated in that way, then there's some sexual, sexual activity going on. That's, that's sex. Now, that's not intercourse, but it's sex. But the difference is, is that I think the, a lot of people walk around and they want to be considered sexual. They want to have a sexuality or they, they look for someone who, but not understanding that Sexuality and sex are different. You don't have to put your sex out there in order to be considered sexual. And in other words, and I think we were having a discussion about this earlier, if you have a woman who dresses modestly, but there's the way she carries herself, men look at her. She, she has a sexuality about her. That has nothing to do with showing her skin, wearing low, you know, short skirts, low cut tops, etc. Who that? Sexual. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Who 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 are you talking about? I'm just talking about what sexuality is. Sexuality oh, okay. comes from inside, not outside. It comes from how you feel about yourself, what you believe about yourself, and how you carry yourself. A person can be can be considered a sexual person who does not ever engage in sex. They can mm-hmm, be asked. You know, or they can, they don't have to show their body. They don't have to go out there and talk about sex and have sex to be considered sexual. Sexuality is inside. And then the third one, which I think we really get confused, is sensuality. And I talk about this, I teach a lot about this in class. Sensuality is simply this. It's learning how to experience life using all five senses. And I know we all know some, I know I know people like this. Is something about them, something about the way they carry themselves and go through life, show, it says that they have, they're in touch with the world a little better. You know, mm-hmm. they smell the flowers, they feel things. You, know, you guys know people like that? I do. I'm talking to one right Not now. Not many, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope he was talking about um, the other young lady on the phone and not me. <laughs> <laughs> Only two of us on the phone, so Tracy, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who you're talking to. He's talking about himself. Thank uh-huh. you. <laughs> okay. There's a okay. reason why you're right. on a doctorate. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but a person, a person is, is 
mental, let me, and, and the way I teach it is this. Children, children, before they become adults, are very sensual beings. You take a child and you, you let they go and play in the sand, you know? Mm-hmm. And they and they they just they love the feel of the sand in their fingers. They go out and they roll on the ground. You know, you take them to the beach and all they want to do is feel the beach water and the waves hit them. What they're doing is they're experiencing life and they're they're experiencing not just using their sight and their hearing, they're experiencing it using their sense of touch, their taste buds. You know, you take a child and they put something in their mouth and they just go, "Oh, that tastes so good." What happens is when we, when we become adults, we, we become constrained, and we stop literally smelling the flowers. We stop experiencing life and taking in all the beautiful scents and things around us because mm-hmm. we're so focused on accomplishing. And that's where people lose their sensuality. So I think that what we have to learn to do is to get in touch with that again. We need to learn to stop and take time and just walk outside, and when you see a, a tree with, or, you know, smell it, smell the flowers. Take your shoes off and walk on the dirt for a while and feel the coolness of the soil in your, in, your, in your feet. Drink a good glass of wine and just let it sit in your mouth for a while and just absorb the bouquet. Yay. In every, yay. <laughs> in every life, we're surrounded by beautiful things that are sensual, but we ignore it. I agree. I agree very strongly with that statement. And people confuse sexuality and sensuality. They think in order to be sensual, you have to take your clothes off and have sex. It has nothing to do with it, just like sexuality. What is your perspective? Call 646-378-0455 and press 1 to give your perspective. All right, we're going to go on to our commercial break, and uh, we'll bring you a sexy interlude by Miss Janet Jackson.
different subject matter. All right, we're back from break. Go ahead, Ms. Aisha, as you were saying. Almost muted. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm ready to get into another subject matter, if you guys are good with that. Yeah, we're ready to transition. Thank you. All right. Um, let's talk about Kama Sutra. Kama Sutra? Yes. Yeah. What's yeah. that? What's that? <laughs> I don't, I just, I've never heard that word before. What, what's that? Well, the Kama Sutra is an ancient Indian text that was written to help teach men on how to have a happy marriage. A lot of people think it's just about sex, but that's not strictly true. The Kama Sutra is made up of seven sections, but only the second, called On Sexual Union, details different sexual positions. This part is illustrated with drawings that show couples different ways of having sex, oral techniques, and also less popular advice on biting and scratching your partner. Despite it being centuries old, the Kama Sutra can still play a part in modern-day relationships. The original Kama Sutra sees women as objects rather than equals, but all the positions are still designed to give both parties pleasure. I remember when I bought my first copy of the Kama Sutra. I assumed it was going to be a manuscript of sexual positions. But it was mainly text, but the section on sexual positions brought me to a whole new world sexually. I never got the birds and the bees talk from my father. Everything I knew about sex up until that moment was through American media magazines, porno movies, Hollywood cinema, music. But this book made me more in tune to what sexuality should and could be and made me a better lover on a mental, physical, and spiritual plane. And I thank you, the author of Kama Sutra. I'm drinking some time right now, so forgive me if I don't get my words right. Wow. Tracy Phillips. Thomas Phillips. <laughs> See how you read my mind again, Blue? I'm going to need you to stop doing that. Stop doing what? Stop reading my mind. You did it again. Everything that was said, I agree with, and, and I have also spent many hours reading the book. One of the things about tantric sex, which is part of the Kama Sutra, is that it's about delaying and conserving orgasms. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot right now. I mean, sexuality today, especially in America, Western sex is about get to the finish, like everything else, get it done. You know, uh, get in there, do your business. Climax, have an orgasm, move on. But tantric sex is is about conserving and delaying. It's focusing, as as um, Mr. Blue just said, focusing on sexual pleasuring with your partner, not not reaching orgasm. So basically, what what they do is using sexual positions and using different techniques. They will reach the point, and they will they will reach the point of plateau, which is which is what happens at right before you move into orgasm. They'll start to climb to orgasm, and then they stop and go back to plateau, and they enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. And the man, of course, is controlling a lot of this. And then throughout time, and can you imagine how wonderful a sexual encounter will be if mm-hmm. you delay orgasm two, three hours? Wow. And that's Why imagine? It's expensive. Why? <laughs> <laughs> that's I, I, I haven't met a man yet that can hold off that long. I know that's right. That's that long. What are you talking about? You're talking, talking about two, three minutes. We got like two, three hours. Come on now. Uh, but I, I might get the brother 15 minutes, Tracy. I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice. 15 minutes, maybe. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> be, be nice if you want to. Tracy, I'm being Tracy. real. Baby, Tracy, baby, can I come? You ready? You ready? Uh, you feel so good. I just can't hold it no longer. You feel so good. <laughs> I'm sorry that your your special your sexual experiences are less than um 
popular American sitcoms. Of course, we're not going to make the wrong ones, obviously. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me you all fall into that category, right? I fall way outside that category. Oh, okay, okay. We're going to leave that alone. Anybody that I've been with to call Paul in and say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I know you could have said that just now. Like, I bet if we, uh, I bet if we took a poll, we'd meet come up ninety percent of men who say they fall outside of that category. Maybe yeah, if we can't have their lovers call in, and you'll get a different story. Anybody that I've been with is going to tell you the truth. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Exactly. But yeah, tantric sex can be wonderful if it's if it's done right. Know how to do it. It's over twenty thousand years old. Wow. Um, the, the you know and. Kama Sutra, and it can be wonderful in terms of just getting your partner and really focusing more on your partner than what than yourself. Mm-hmm. Wow. Orgasm. And just imagine plateau, almost the climax, back to plateau, almost the I mean, it can be good. Mm. <laughs> well, my prayer for myself is that one day, <laughs> one day, so you I'm go to experience that. You better go to India. That's what I'm having to Yeah. Telling me a male or a husband from India. Look. Oh, oh, my goodness. That's crazy. Ooh. I don't even know if I would be able to handle something like that. I mean, I'd love to let me not think talk. about it. Look, let me, let's just say, let's change it a little bit. Let me not think about that. Okay. Yeah, three hours of this pleasure? Mm. That's, a, that's two movies. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's two whole movies. Yeah. Nice. All right. Okay. All right. Well, um, I guess let's get to Kama Sutra the way that we quote unquote know it. Um, in terms of just sexual positions, and I mean. I know, like, people always care about the basic stuff. You know, they call it doggy style. Um, oh, I think I know the title for it. But, you know, um, missionary position. Missionary position, face to face, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that type of thing, 69, all this crazy stuff. But there's so many more positions out there. And I was telling Blue um, earlier as our producer and ourselves were doing some research out on this website, and I was amazed. I was like, oh, people do it like this? You know, so here I am thinking I know a little something to find out I know not half of what I thought I knew as far as positions are concerned. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's crazy. But some of those positions, when I was looking at them, you know, it's, they look uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable? They look uncomfortable. If you're out of shape, you're going to be uncomfortable. It's like you're <laughs> uncomfortable if you're out of shape. It's all about getting uh-huh. that thing in shape, you know what I mean? That's a lot of getting in shape. I saw this one position, and um, this dude was holding her, like, upside down. Like, he was standing. And, you know, her vagina was near his mouth. And they was Vagina was what? In his mouth. While he's standing. So her legs are towards the ceiling. Her head is towards his genital area. And I was just like, you know, how are they going to do this? What's that called? I don't even remember. I just was so amazed by the position. I was like, ooh, how you do that? That's so long. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just so much. I think, you know, when you talk about the three-hour experience, Tracy, even with um, pleasuring each other, I think if we spice it up and mix it up a little bit and not just do the normal stuff, um, that can make it last as well because it's something different. Instead of, you know, baby, you lay on your back. 
fuck. No, you get on the edge of the bed. You know, I mean, it's just... <laughs> I mean, seriously, I'm sitting here thinking about my personal sex life. And um, God, I really haven't tried that many positions. I really haven't. It was like 101 positions listed. And I think I might have tried like six or seven. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Y'all laughing at me? No, but, uh, no because most people only stick to the top six. <laughs> well, girl, I'm most people. I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> I'm so amazed. Seriously, and I'm putting myself on blast, my limited sex experiences. I'm sorry, my past sex partners. But, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. They're lame. <laughs> Y'all did all right, because I ain't had no no better. Now that I know better, look. Right now, they're going to have to step up the game, baby. Girl, I'm trying to look. I'm trying to tell you. But uh, I'm, I'm trying to reach for three hours. Look. <laughs> The other thing to realize is the erogenous zones. I mean, most people stick to the to the four, you know, breast, vaginal area. Maybe you might get fancy and get behind the earlobes, the anus, you know. But there are so many erogenous zones on our body that we most people don't even know. It's so, so true. The back of the knee is a huge mm. erogenous zone. Can you it imagine? Is. Can you imagine just feeling somebody's caress the back of your knee with whatever part of their body they choose to? Mm-mm-mm. You know? And there's so many parts to, in our body. And just the head, the hair, yeah. you know, the scalp is an erogenous zone. It's, but you, the person, of course, has to know what they're doing and be confident in that. But that's the wonderful thing about, about sex and about uh, sex with someone you know and you have a relationship with is because you can explore all those over time. You no. can. Um, I think another one, the small of your back, I've heard women talk about that. Um, you know, of course, their neck, hmm? even like their breast bone, not so much the breast, but just, yeah. you know, right above it. You know, do you know one of the one of the most vital um, erogenous zones on a man? What's is that? The peren- it's the perineum. Mm-hmm. It's, it's between the base of the penis and the anus. There's the small, thin layer of skin. That if caressed right, drives a man crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Men don't, men don't even know they have it. And when you but, touch it, you're like, whoa, 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 what's that? Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, girl, but I'm going to have to call you after the show. <laughs> call you after the show. So, Blue, have you ever had anybody touch that area on you? You know I like to get personal sometimes. I'm sorry, what? I guess. Have you ever had anybody touch that area on you? Yeah. Like I said, uh, uh-huh. oftentimes I try to um, describe that other intimate spot on males that no male wants anyone to go to per se, but once they find out that that's their most pleasurable spot, it turns them out sexually in such a way that it opens up a whole new world in sex, and that's the prostate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People think, oh, my gosh, they're gay, they're gay. No, they just, they just, they just see a whole new world sexually that, you know, whatever it takes for that particular thing to be <clears throat> sexually aroused or touched or fingered or tongued, boom, game over. So a lot of people like, you know, they're looking like, oh, they're gay and all this stuff. Uh-huh. But I, that's why that's the one area a woman can never touch on me because I'm not trying to get turned out like that. Wow. All masculinity, why should it bother you? I'm just thinking, though, so many, all the males, you know, that you therapy with and counsel with that happen to, you know, go both ways, they were saying that, that they were straight up until that particular part of their body was probed. 
And after that, that's when they started going into, like, the males and females with strap-ons and things such as that. I mean, so it was like that was the, op- the, the, the floodgate. That was the gateway drug, basically. I'm not interested in drugs anymore, so I don't want to take with drugs. <laughs> not this week, right? Not this week. <laughs> right. But, I don't know. I just I think when you talk about, you know, I think that men lack a lot when it comes to sex. And not because women don't tend to caress men. Women don't tend to um, give men, you know, massages. They don't tend to explore their man's body. And I think because of that, men are just... I mean, they get the short end of the stick. You know, I think a lot of women complain, well, all he want to do is stick it in you. That's all you allow him to do. You know, rub that brother down, massage his temple, you know, rub his neck, his back. Just cater to him a little bit. Yeah. Um, let, let and me, I think uh, men will appreciate that. Let me tell you one of the things I love to do, and oh, this yeah. is, I guess, I'm putting myself on blast. Yeah. That's what I like. <laughs> oh, wow. Too. One of the things, one of the things I love to do that that has been extremely um, satisfying for the man is to let him make him not touch me. Mm. So he has like to that. lay there, either with his hands tied or or just you know by faith, and I just explore every inch, every nook, every cranny of his body. Mm. Come on, and he's, not, and he's not allowed touch me all he has all the only thing he's allowed to do is to receive and i think a lot of times that we expect the man to give and the woman to receive what's wrong with the man receiving you know all you have to do is lay there and take it and i tell you what i've I've had some i've I've had some good feedback from that one good result huh you come with the test you got a hundred plus you got a hundred plus but she passed that trip but it's but it's but, all a matter of the erogenous zones, knowing where to go, knowing what to touch, knowing what's going to turn the person on. And I think part of the sexual experience is just let, just allowing yourself to be pleasured. Not well, I agree with you. But I think also that people have to um, just the exploration of each other's body is, yeah. is sexy, is is sensual. Because I don't know what to touch. I'm not. I don't want you to always. Don't tell me this is your spot. Let me find out, you know. <laughs> let, let me find what you, let, I don't know when them toes curl, or you be like, ooh, or, you know, I, let me find out. I want to, I want the guy to be my playground, you know, and I'll figure out what, what you like to ride, you know. Exactly. But I just think that so many women are so, like, lost. I think about all the conversations I've had with my um, girlfriends and, you know, homeboys as well, and I, I cannot ever remember any of my male friends ever talking about, you know, I had this woman that just, you know, they might talk about how good her vagina was or how tight or whatever, but not that a woman actually just pampered them and rubbed them down and massaged them and just took care of them, you know? And I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. And I think also by us doing that for them, they'll learn what we like as well, you know? If she's doing this for me, maybe I should try this for her one day. Exactly. You know, so... Mm-hmm. I think women got to get up on their game a little bit better. I agree, 100%. Just, just a little bit. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Blue, you kind of quiet, brother. Oh, I was just listening, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was there listening, pay attention. You trying <laughs> to focus? It's a good thing. But, yeah, I want to move okay. into sexually transmitted diseases before we get out. We have about five minutes. All right, I we do need to cover that. To avoid ever applying an STD, but have been personally affected by those that have. 
HIV has had an incredible and disturbing impact on those I love and know. I encourage everyone to get tested and know your status, not for you, but for those that you love and care about. You advance to ensure that you can continue to live a long and productive life, but you must get tested in order to do so if you are indeed HIV positive. It's good to know your status. In Charleston County, I'm aware of three community resources to get tested at no cost to the person. The Low Country AIDS Services at 3547 Newton Street Road, North Charleston, South Carolina. Contact number 843-747-2273. Once again, that's 843-747-2273. There's also the Franklin Fetter Family Health Center located downtown, 51 Nasu Street, 843-722-4112. Once again, that's 843-722-4112. And finally, Planned Parenthood Health Systems Incorporated, 200 Rutledge Avenue, downtown Charleston, 843-628. 4380. Once again, that's 843-628-4380. If living outside of the Charleston area, please Google to look up resources in your area. Spread the word, not the disease. Amen. Well, Ms. Phillips, our time is winding down for the show. Um, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with? Yes, that sex is a wonderful experience if you do it responsibly and you know yourself and know your partner, then you can have a wonderful sexual, passionate life. Mm. I agree with that. Um, For me, listeners, I just want to tell everybody, I know that we joked a lot about sex and we covered some serious issues as well. But, you know, again, be safe. You know, use condoms, go to your local health department. Um, If you don't know what to do, feel free to, you know, even email us on Eclectic Perspectives or, or call the show. And, you know, we'll help you as much as we can because, Honestly, sex is a big part of most of America's lives, period. I mean, every, it's everywhere, but we just need to be take precautions. So strap up. You know, women, if you're pregnant, especially, you know, take care of yourself because, you know, you can transfer STDs from yourself to your unborn child. So just um, be safe. Two final notes. I want to define your sexuality. You can define your sexuality or let it define you. We are living in an age where few consider the possible harm of the misuse of sexuality. Pregnancy is not the only thing to be concerned about after having sex. Sexually transmitted diseases and sexually transmitted infections are common. Some can be cured, some cannot. Many have lifelong effects. There are a lot of things to consider when having sex, being informed so you can make the best decision, not just for today, but for your future. The culture and probably your religion would help define your views on both sexuality and sex an extremely complex thing that we try so hard to define in one or two word answers. But it's just not that easy. There is who you are attracted to, what you are attracted to, what turns you on, what you fantasize about, what you wish didn't turn you on, who you become romantically interested in, how high or low your libido is, how you achieve intimacy, how many partners you prefer to have, how your body responds to or does not respond, blah, blah, blah. And unfortunately, most of us are not taught to explore what our sexuality is beyond straight, gay, bisexual, or kinky. And some people don't even get that much exploration. So I'm curious, how do you identify? What makes up your sexuality? Do you just choose to use simple words, or do you feel that your sexuality is more complex and maybe even more fluid? Have you not given it a whole lot of thought? And if so, why not? Wow, good point, good point. Well, Ms. Phillips, again, before we end, I want to thank you for your time and your expertise, and we will see you again next week. Thank you. I'm having a good time.
Yes, sir. All right, I'd like to um, start out with a poem by my friend Damien Gross, Searching for Pleasure, Finding Pain. People seek pleasure and try their best to avoid pain. This is called the pleasure principle, and it isn't a game. What start out as a little fix quickly becomes affliction. Then you partake in this pleasure until it becomes addiction. That the one thing you try to avoid dooms you, and you continue to consume it until it consumes you. It eats you up and spits you out. You're just not another casualty. This is part of daily life. What a harsh reality. You got food, sex, and money. Life is so beautiful. Then obesity, obesity, nymphomania, and greed start to pierce through. You now turn to drugs because it takes the edge off, and it helps you forget all the people trying to take your head off. All that pleasure-seeking has brought you enemies, and your own family looks at you like you ain't no kin to me. Now you're all alone. Who can you trust? You can't decide if you should move or, or just give up. You're thinking life sucks, but you want it suckest. You may have the bucks, but you have the stress. Of course. We start out searching for pleasure, but end up finding pain. On the road to the riches, we fall asleep and switch lanes. Then we head down the wrong path as we start to change. It's too late to turn back, and there's no one we can blame. Thank you, Damien Ross, for um, allowing us to read your poem on the air. I look forward to hearing more from you. And that has been another eclectic perspective. Good night. See you next week.